John 1, beginning at verse 19. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. That is our reading in God's Word for this morning. We're studying the Gospel of John. The author of the Gospel of John was one of Jesus' disciples, who actually, he never refers to himself by name in this whole Gospel. If you know something about the Gospel of John, you know that. He'll sometimes talk about himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved, and so on, but he never refers to himself. But the author is one of the twelve. Now we're meeting another John, John the Baptist. So these are two different Johns right at the beginning. And John the Baptist, the John who wrote this gospel, uh, the beloved disciple, is one of the more interesting characters in the Bible. But even more interesting, perhaps, is this John the Baptist guy. And he's kind of like an old-school, Old Testament prophet. The other Gospels tell us that he had camel hair clothes, very itchy stuff, a leather belt. They talk about his diet of locusts and wild honey. They talk about how he really took out sternly the religious leaders of the day. In this gospel, compared to the other three gospels, we don't read anything about the Baptist's clothes or his diet, and we don't really get the harshness of his message presented. The focus instead is on his testimony, his witness, and we read the very beginning and the very end of all those verses we read. This is the testimony of John, verse 19. And then in the last verse, 34, I testify. And some translations say, I have borne witness. And bearing testimony 
witnessing is actually one of the main, certainly one of the main like top ten themes that come out in the whole Gospel of John. So this is something worth focusing on. Often referred to as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist's job was to bear witness for Jesus. And I believe our text helps us in our job today to witness for Jesus too in a number of ways. We see, first of all, in this witnessing of John the Baptist, we see the urgent need for this witness. John quotes Isaiah, and he says that he's the voice of one crying in the desert, or sometimes it's said the wilderness. Now, so he's like a prophet. Why wouldn't a prophet be in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, or near the temple, the center of people's worship? That should be his place. But the reality is that Israel... God's people, that's the church of that time. Israel had become a hollow shell, spiritually speaking. There was legalism, which is, you know, there are a lot of ways you can say what legalism is, but one way to say is there's sort of this outward form to faith, but little or no life, like there's not much going on in the heart. And so God had to send someone outside of this broken religious system of the day. Did you catch this happened at Bethany? Why does he tell us that? Well, it's not the Bethany that we're most familiar with, which is the Bethany where Lazarus was from, which was only like two miles outside of Jerusalem, a little south of Jerusalem. This Bethany was north many, many miles from the center of Israel, from Jerusalem, and it was on the other side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River was like the eastern boundary of the promised land. So you see, God had to go outside the arena of the church of that day, which is really, really tragic, So the wilderness symbolizes the spiritual barrenness of those times. And John's food, his clothes, just like the actions and what the prophets of the Old Testament did were often illustrations for everyone to see his message, they're illustrations of the barrenness and the spiritual deadness into which he was sent. We see the spiritual problem and we see the tragedy of the spiritual deadness in these questions that the people ask Jesus to. They're searching for answers. And these people are nothing less than the church leaders of the day. The priests, the Levites, the Pharisees. We've got every corner of the church, the liberals, the conservatives, those in between. They're all represented And they're all shown to us as lost and searching and not even really knowing what they're looking for. So John comes to be a witness in this spiritually dead situation. And he comes to be a witness for what they need. 
Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, promised in the Old Testament. These guys ask, are you Elijah? There was some expectation in those days that Elijah would return somehow. Are you the prophet? Prophet, capital P, is Moses. And John sort of gives these short answers. And then the Pharisees strut in. These are the big guns. They lived the most strict life in the church of the day. They had the greatest religious knowledge, and they were pretty proud of that. And they come in with a more in-depth question, a doctrinal question. It's about baptism because John was baptizing people. He's John the Baptist. And as a profound a question as they think they're bringing, it was really quite foolish and ridiculous. And you notice John doesn't give them a straight answer either. And what he does do is he testifies to Jesus. He doesn't respond to that question on baptism, but he brings them to Jesus. And that was his main job, directing them to Jesus. So this question is a little ridiculous because these guys did not even know Jesus himself. They didn't know Jesus, and they're wanting to dispute doctrine. Right? Think about that. What is the point of discussing baptism like they want to do, John's baptism, if they're still stuck and lost in their sin? And, and I, think, I think you'll see that sometime. People are willing to discuss and argue all sorts of things today, moral issues, stuff related to the faith, but they're avoiding and they're missing the central issue, that they need Jesus. But they'll talk about all this other stuff. Friends, we need to, to recognize that we're in a spiritual wasteland today, too. And I could, I don't know, I, I could give you a lot of examples of that, um, I think of just the completely hedonistic songs of uh, someone like Kesha on the radio. That's complete hedonism. I think of the moral emptiness behind not all, but much of what you'll find on TV. I think of the very adult content of a magazine called Seventeen compared to 20 years ago. Why do I know what's in there? (laughs) A really goofy thing. We've gotten, in the last few weeks, addressed to Sarah, and she doesn't know how, um, 17, the the magazine 17, which I think 17 is sort of for for teenagers, but if you would look in there, we don't know why we got it, but she was like, okay, what's this about? Because she remembers seeing it 20, 25 years ago. It's very, very different. I'll just tell you, it's the, the content is very adult. Um, kind of shameful even for us as adults to read, and it's titled 17. We need to recognize the spiritual wasteland around us, and we need to do the same thing. We need to witness to Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus. John avoids the baptism question, which really, at this point, I mean, there's a time to talk about doctrine and baptism, but that wasn't the time. He avoids the baptism questions and says, among you stands one you do not know. And this is true today, even in our midst in the United States. Jesus stands among us, but people don't know him. The worst part of all of this is that the wasteland was even in the church of John's day. 
It was in the church. And that can happen too, believe it or not. And it has happened throughout church history. Even in the church among God's people, it's possible to get off focus, to miss Jesus, to not know Jesus, to not recognize him even though he stands among us, to get sidetracked in issues that are not the central issue. Believing in Jesus, knowing him, growing in him, sharing him, pointing others to him, being close to him in our lives. What a tragedy. How sad. There's an urgent need to be a witness for Jesus today, just like there was in John's day. Do God's people realize that? Do we? Secondly, we see the focus of this witness. We see the urgent need for this witness, but also the focus of this witness. We know already the focus is Jesus, right? But he's described in a certain way. In verse 29, John sees Jesus coming. Then he says, look or behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says, this is the one I meant when I said, this is the guy I was telling you about. This is important because they were looking for another prophet or maybe uh, uh, some sort of king or leader to save Israel from the Romans who were ruling Israel on that day. But they were not looking for a savior. They were not looking for what they really needed. None of those earlier questions had to do with whether John had anything to do with saving them from their sins. They appear to have been clueless about that. The Lamb of God idea had to do directly with salvation from sin. And as I said earlier, we're going to really focus in on that in the message and in the whole service tonight in a special way. But in short, the sacrificial Lamb in the Old Testament pointed to forgiveness of sins. And if anybody should have had a clue about that among these people we read, it would be one of them. Did you catch that? Which one of all these groups? Well, the priests and the Levites, they're specifically mentioned. They were the head of the sacrifices. And they're mentioned, but they don't ask John anything about expecting the one who would come and once and for all get rid of the sacrifices and totally, completely save his people from their sin. And see, I think that's where we see the main significance of Jesus' baptism. We read about it happening here. We read the record of it in the other Gospels, and they describe it more. But why did Jesus need to be baptized? Why? Some people say that this is an argument for adult baptism as opposed to infant baptism. Here's Jesus saying, this is what you need to do. It's an example for us. I'm not so sure of that. The water of baptism symbolizes a cleansing, right? We all understand that even when there are little brothers and sisters of babies up here, I can tell them, What does water do? It washes us clean, and they can get that. Jesus did not need to be cleansed. He was perfect. 
Why be baptized then? Well, this was a part of him taking on the sins of the world. It was a part of him becoming sin for us. He was becoming as if he needed to be cleansed for our sake so that he could forgive his sin, our sin, by his work. If anybody should have asked about sin and salvation, it would be the Levites. But they were lost and searching and clueless, no sense of their need, no sense of their sin, no sense of the central issue. Jesus, John, rather, does not say to those lost in this spiritual wilderness, he's not saying here the Christ, he's not saying here the Word or anything else, but he's saying the Lamb, the Lamb. As someone said, they probably would have welcomed him sitting on the throne, but they needed to first accept him on the altar as a sacrifice for sin. There's a preacher named D.M. Stearns who was preaching once in Philadelphia. At the close of the service, a stranger came up to him and said, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. I, I think that instead of emphasizing the death and the sacrifice of Christ, it would be far better, it would be far more effective to preach Jesus, this a great teacher and example to us and people. Stearns replied, well, if I presented Christ in that way, would you then be willing to follow him? I certainly would, this stranger said without hesitation. All right then, said the preacher, let's take the first step. He did not sin. Can you claim that for yourself? The man looked confused and he was kind of surprised. He says, no, I acknowledge that I do sin. And then Stearns replied, then your greatest need is to have a Savior, not an example. Your greatest need is to have a Savior. The Lamb who takes away the sins of the world is who Israel needed the most And it's the same today for you and me and for our world. We need first and foremost the Christ of the cross, the Lamb of God who offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. And that is exactly the focus of the witness of John for Jesus. That is the need that most needs to be filled whether people realize it or not. And that's what the church must find ways to share and tell the world. And we should never lose that central focus or let it get diluted by what we think people might want to be hearing about. We need to bring that focused message in today's world and culture. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, tremendous missionary, he ministered and preached to people in their culture, in their language, in just amazing ways. But he never allowed the culture to take away from the central message and the central focus. And we got to follow his example. we got to do the same thing today as the church. We can finally talk about and say that witnessing, about witnessing for Jesus, that the church is the witness to the world. It's the mission of the church. It's to tell the world of Jesus. John uses the word of Isaiah and says, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. He says he's a voice. 
which is kind of an interesting word. And it shows us John's place compared to Jesus. And it shows us our place. Remember when we talked about Jesus as the light of the world? We talked about John the Baptist, and I think it's in John 5, being called not the light, but a lamp. The light, Jesus, causes us to shine. We are not the light. We don't shine without the light. We are lamps. Well, we read in John 1, 1, Jesus is the word. Later in the same chapter, John is the voice. So that tells us about the relationship between Jesus and his witness. The light, the lamp is lesser. That's John. Now the word and the voice. In each case, Jesus is preeminent. What comes first, a word or a voice? Well, the word comes first. The word exists in our minds before the voice articulates it. The voice is just the medium by which the word is made known, just like John was to bear witness to Jesus. And the voice is heard but not seen, just as John told people not to look to him but to behold the Lamb. So John knows his place in the scheme of things. We see his humility, too, when he says in verse 27 that he is not worthy to untie the thongs of Jesus' sandals. He's a servant of Christ. He's a servant of the Word, and so are we. To be a voice, to be servants, to be lamps, it is to witness. It's to get the Word out, not keep it to ourselves. My NIV study Bible in this text talks about how the, a community that lived in the desert during Jesus' day called the Qumran community also took for themselves the words of Isaiah to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. But the way that they prepared for Jesus and focused on him was by keeping the message to themselves. They isolated themselves. And sometimes Christians today and even churches can be that way. Isolationists, keeping the message within. A true witness for Jesus does not do that. John proclaimed. John baptized. He spread the word. And that's our calling too. It's the calling of the church to proclaim the word. It's not just for us. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Our mission is that expansive. John the Baptist was a witness for Jesus. The gospel writer John wrote this whole gospel, all of these words, to also be a witness for Jesus so people would believe, right? That remains the calling of God's people today. The need is so urgent. We are in a spiritual wasteland. Don't make any mistake about it. We're in a spiritually barren land. The focus we need to keep is clear. We call people to Jesus, the Savior, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and cleanses us, the mission is ours. It's for the church. It's for you and me. Let us never lose that. We can never be content to sort of hang out, but we're called to be serious and passionate about our faith, our own walk with Jesus the Lamb, and then all together, we're called to be a church with a mission, like John, like the one who pointed people to Jesus. Let's do that. Individually in our own callings, together as a church, witness for Jesus today. Wouldn't it be sad to be found to be so clueless as the church in Jesus' day? That we were that clueless? I don't think we are. I really believe as a church here at Faith that we're on a good path by God's grace. I really, really believe that. We have all these ministries all these times of worship. We have committee meetings. We have council meetings. We're going to have a congregational meeting. We had people serving at pads last night and this morning. Don't lose sight of the mission and the goal behind all of those activities that occupy our planning and our time. For yourself, for your family, for those around you here, for those we reach. The focus is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Behold Him in your life. Embrace Him. Follow Him. Serve Him. Be His witness. 